Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Thomas Billy from Belly of the Beast coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He's a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, a filing, an SEC filing by Luby's reveals that it has entered into a confidential agreement with Pappas restaurant owners, Chris and Harris Pappas, for the purpose of their potentially deciding to acquire the company's assets. Matt, let me... Let me just throw it straight to you. This is uh, this is an incredibly popular story on the website. Um, it follows up on the news that uh, Luby's was pursuing a plan of liquidation and dissolution from a couple of weeks ago. Let me just ask you: Do you think that Luby's is saved? Is is are the the Pappas brothers going to rescue Luby's? Well, I mean, they certainly have the track record that. Uh, if I'm a betting man, I'm I'm going to get those odds and run with them. It, you know, it's interesting. Um, I believe it's uh, Christopher Pappas is uh, the current CEO of Luby's. He is. That's correct. Yes, they are. They are the two major or two of the very major shareholders of Luby's. Collectively, they own about 35 percent of the outstanding stock. So, um, yeah, I, I, I still feel like there's a market there. It has sort of, it has not been on the rotation uh, for a while now, um, but uh, I'm not sure I'm their target demographic at this point. I think that's part of the problem, though, isn't it? I mean, it's not really clear sort of who the target demographic is, you know, for this comfort food menu that's, a little bit all over the place, you know, it's just not quite, I I think that's the problem, right? Is, you know, I have fond memories of going there with my grandparents in the eighties, but, but it's not really clear to me sort of who, who the restaurant is designed to appeal to at this point. Right. Well, yeah. So, right. I think that's part of it. So, so my parents don't live here. Um, I, I don't have kids. So it, it's just, I think there is a demographic there. I'm just not sure. Uh, I'm that demographic. Uh, I did enjoy, you know, who doesn't like a Luan platter every now and then. That, that's true. A, a, a Luan platter of chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, and uh, one of those squishy dinner rolls. That, that's pretty hard to resist. Are they open? I'm ready. I, let's do, Have you had lunch? Let's go. <laughs> well, I, I should say on behalf of the company that they have something like 80 locations between Luby's and Fuddruckers open statewide. So they want people to know that whatever, whatever happens, whether the Pappas brothers decide to acquire the company or not, whether uh, however long this plan of liquidation takes to execute, uh, they are still open. And okay. uh, the, the Montrose location on Wa has closed permanently. That's not coming back, but the Galleria location at Post Oak and San Felipe is very much uh, still open. So I, uh, out of respect to the, the employees that are still there trying to earn a living, I, I think that's worth noting. Um, the one intriguing prospect of this 
is that I'm I'm wondering if it could lead to Fuddruckers taking on more of the qualities of Pappas Burger, because I really like Pappas Burgers and I'm sort of indifferent to uh, Fuddruckers. Put me in the indifferent category. I will say um, that my niece and nephew would probably fight you. Um, As would my beloved Culture Map colleague, Ken Hoffman, a Fuddrucker super fan. But that's okay. Uh, Ken and I don't always have to agree. True story, Daddy. True story. Uh, so, you know, I think that's that's interesting. I also think it's a platform for, you know, some sort of uh, um, sort of 2.0, Papa's Burgers 2.0 or Fuddruckers 2.0. So there's, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm more of a Luby's fan. I think that would be where you would find me more often than Fuddruckers or Papa's Burgers at this point. But Curious to see what happens. Right. And it's it's not really clear what's going to happen. They, you know, this is an agreement to share information, not an agreement to, to purchase the assets. And even if they do purchase the assets, it doesn't mean that all the restaurants will or won't remain open. I, I mean, this this is a this is a long process and a and a complicated one, but um, whereas a couple of weeks ago they had seemed doomed, now I'm saying there's a glimmer of hope. If and when it happens, Daddy, I'll come back on and we'll talk about it. That sounds perfect. All right. Topic number two. Um, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I did want to note that Coterie, the downtown cafe, was operated by Sean Marshall of Southside Espresso, has closed. Uh, I had Adam Doris on the show uh, a while back, I guess about a year ago, uh, who talked about sort of his role in transforming Coterie, kind of giving it... uh, a little more French influence, a little more refined menu designed to appeal to the residents of the Market Square Tower. Obviously, that uh, that wasn't enough. And so I don't I don't know. Do you did you ever go to Coterie? Do you have thoughts on it? I uh, did not have the pleasure of going to Coterie. You know, I, I only went a couple of times and and for all the usual reasons that, you know, parking downtown can be kind of a hassle and there's just there's other sort of more compelling things but it uh yeah it just never quite caught on it was sort of it it was sort of a good idea and a really pretty space and it had kind of a fun you know wine beer cocktail list and and actually i thought i thought adam's food was pretty good i mean i've been a fan of his going back to pax americana certainly and uh some of his other still a solo right absolutely um but it just never quite, never quite caught on. So it's an interesting. Congratulations to Adam and his wife on their new addition. Yeah, I think they they had a son, right? To to join the, uh, they have they've had a daughter, and now they also have a son. I think. I believe that's correct. All right. Congratulations. Congratulations to Adam. All right. Um, yeah, not not too much to say. I mean, I I feel bad for Sean Marshall, who obviously put quite a bit of uh, time and money into trying to make coterie. A success. I'm glad that he still has Southside Espresso, which uh, quietly uh, one of the better coffee shops in Montrose, in my opinion. No, I think they do a good job, and and I'm not sure that uh, the closing is really any any commentary on the quality of of the uh, product at Coterie. It's tough out there. It's tough sledding right now. 
Yeah, especially downtown. I mean, we've, we've talked about this quite a bit, but, you know, office workers, not really there. Uh, juries, not, not happening. Sporting events, other public gatherings, all the things that kind of drive life downtown just are not taking place right now. So, yeah, I, it's tough. I was I was down there the other week uh, visiting uh, Tipping Point, and uh, it was uh, noticeably quiet. All right, and then let us move on to topic number three. There are there are some hope for downtown, or some signs that downtown is starting to come back. Uh, both Sochi Hugo Ortega's Oaxacan restaurant in the Marriott Marquis and Pappas Brothers Steakhouse, their downtown location, uh, are both reopening this week. Nobis has reopened for dine-in service. They've been doing to-go. And Miss Carousel, I recall Hospitality's uh, sort of stylish cocktail lounge in Edo, has also reopened. So, Matt, I don't know. Do you, uh, you have any thoughts on any of those establishments reopening for dine-in service? I may add one more to the uh, Edo neighborhood. I believe Nancy's Hustle is back open for dine-in. That is also correct. Yes, it is. Um, you know, Nobis is is uh, kind of near and dear and special to the heart. That that certainly is the one that jumps out at me. Yeah, and I'll say just that I know you know Nobis Nobis and Nancy Cecil and I mean really everybody, but but especially those two. You know, their concern in reopening have primarily been related to keeping their employees healthy, and so I take it as a good sign that they feel comfortable having people in the, in the business again, serving customers for dine-in and, and feeling like they can operate and do that in a way that keeps everybody safe and healthy. So, you know, those would certainly be uh, two on my list to go back to uh, sooner than later. And, and the one nice thing about uh, Novi's reopening is they're taking reservations now for their inside seating. So uh, that is not something they have done previously. Indeed, that uh, uh, I may uh, may actually not go at five thirty like my normal. Well, that's when I prefer to eat. I, but uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, along the same lines, also if it is is a patron, if you feel comfortable going out, I mean, these places need your business. You know, whether it's Sochi, Papa's Brothers, Nobis, Miss Carousel, Nancy Cecil. You know, if, if you feel comfortable going out. I encourage you to patronize these places. Uh, no, absolutely, and and I've I've been saying you know for many weeks now that that I'm going to places where I feel comfortable uh, and places that take maintaining you know cleanliness and sanitizing and all that seriously, and, and certainly uh, Nobis, Nancy Sussel, Sochi, Pappas Brothers, those would all be on my list of places that are going to operate with a high concern for, for both their staff and their customers. And, and, uh, and I, you know, as, as we're about to discuss, I mean, I've been eating uh, inside restaurants for a while now. I feel good about my decisions and I respect that some people don't see it that way, but, but I also feel like, uh, you know, these restaurants really need our support and uh, you know, takeout, takeout is good. And, and, you know, certainly that's, that is one method of doing that. But I also feel like if, if, you know, if it's safe enough for the staff to be out and working in them, then it's safe enough for me to be dining them. 
that that works for me. Is that a syllogism, Daddy? Uh, it might be. I don't know. It, it's, uh, I'll let I'll let uh, some other uh, I'll let some other philosopher uh, email me a criticism of my logic in that uh, in that argument. All right, Matt, that does it for our news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. So, Matt, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Sin Chow. This is the new modern Vietnamese restaurant from Christine Ha and Tony Nguyen. Had Christine on the show a few weeks ago. We know her as the winner of MasterChef Season 3 and also from The Blind Goat, her restaurant at Bravery Chef Hall. All around. uh, Yeah. Tony, we know from Saigon House, his Viet Cajun restaurant. Uh, that sadly closed in Midtown. It was one of our favorites. Uh, I don't think I'm stepping out of turn by speaking for you on that because we ate there quite a bit together. Um, so let me just put it to you. What did you think of Sin Chow? Uh, so full disclosure, we did uh, visit at different times. That is true. They uh, did quite a bit of uh, work on the inside very light and clean and pretty modern space compared to previous iterations. And, you know, we, we enjoyed what we had. Um, it was good, nice flavors, interesting, really like the pork belly, uh, whether that was in the uh, crispy bowl or the uh, pork belly and rice. Yeah. Very tasty. I, yeah. Egg no, rolls. I, yeah. The egg rolls, uh, the egg rolls that, that crispy pork belly is is not just a a winning dish from a, you know to to use a phrase, but it's also literally a winning dish. As it was, uh, she served a version of that uh, in the season finale of MasterChef when she won. So that that dish is Gordon Ramsay approved. Yeah, it. Uh, um, we uh, we did not get the beef dishes, but other than that, I think we we almost got everything on the menu. Yeah, no, uh, I, I did get the beef dish or, or both beef dishes rather uh, when I went uh, that uh, they call it the steak and shake. It's basically their version of Bo Luclat and they're using uh, a chuck roll from Texas, of Texas Wagyu from RC Ranch. And, you know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm the first one to call the filet mignon that usually shows up in that dish uh, mushy and flavorless. And so give me me a wagyu chuck cut any day over filet it just has so much more beef flavor um and they serve it with uh chinese broccoli and some sauteed mushrooms it's absolutely killer and it's only like 28 bucks so to get a you know a wagyu beef dish for under 30 dollars, i think that's that's a real value and, and it was so tasty and then uh you know the other a uh, couple other dishes to talk about i thought they're they're doing a duck salad. Uh, and, and certainly, look, I mean, the, the version at Quinn is kind of a, you know, if you did the top 20 Houston dishes to try before you die, I think that, that duck salad at Quinn is probably on it. But uh, I think, uh, I think Sin Chow's doing some interesting stuff. They smoke the duck. They've added some other elements to it. It's got walnuts and arugula in addition to sort of cabbage and herbs. Oh, and jackfruit. 
So I, I just think, uh, you know, this is kind of modern Vietnamese cooking, right? Incorporating some Texas elements with the smoker and then kind of, uh, and kind of elevating the technique. And, and I, I, I thought it was really compelling. I, would, I was going to say, one might say it's compelling. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, you know, it's, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was good. You know, it was the kind of place that I, that I think we talk about wanting and, uh, you know, here it is just right in the pocket, good value, nice, clean flavors, quality product, you know, well-executed dishes. Uh, I, I'm sure I will be going back. Yeah, and then let me just ask you about the fried chicken because that's kind of a big deal for them. This is, uh, again, I talked to Christine. She said they brine it or they marinate it in buttermilk and lemongrass. And then there's pandan-flavored rice in the batter. So you get these uh, little green specks in it. Uh, What did you think of the fried chicken specifically? Uh, We enjoyed it. It was well done, Um, meaning it wasn't well done as in. It was properly cooked. Thank you. Um, and uh, that uh, enjoyed the potato wedges that came with it. And, you know, it really kind of was a sneaky star was that um, honey that they served it with. Um, yeah, that, that spicy honey, uh, they serve, They have that at the Blind Goat, too. And, uh, yeah, it, it kind of takes that chicken places. It, it, it really did. It uh, and places that I... I'm a fan of. Yeah. And I will say we had a little bit left over. And so I took the leftovers home and the, I'm, I'm very pleased to report the, uh, the fried chicken holds up well the next day too. So uh, it's an important quality in fried chicken. Well, and then, and I feel like the public was wondering, and that's, that's why you're here, daddy. You're a professional. I'm, I'm here to help the people. A man of the people. That's right. Ask anybody. Um, and then, you know, I, the, the only other thing to just sort of talk about it, you, you referenced it earlier, but the, you know, this is the former Beavers Decatur bar space. It looks nothing like uh, either of those establishments. It's, it's lighter, it's brighter. There's a cool new mural on the wall. They redid the bar. They painted the interior and the exterior. The patio has been redone. Um, for those people that are looking for patio spots, but uh, they definitely have a fair amount of seating out there. Yeah, it's 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 large and it's and it's got good sort of spacing between the tables, and so if that's and, and shaded, right? And it's and it's colder colder outside, right? It's a outside. This is this is our time to shine. This is this is when outdoor dining in Houston becomes uh, a much more pleasant experience. Yes, yeah, so we we call that prime time. Yes, or patio weather. Ah, took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> so uh, I know you said it already, but you'll go back to Sin Chow? Uh, affirmative. Yes, uh, I will too, especially for that steak dish. I mean, that's, that is a winner. I will be back for that for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm sort of sitting here how I got outvoted or how I allowed myself to be outvoted on not getting a beef dish. <laughs> Don't let it happen again. Yeah, no, it, it happened a year, and obviously this is the one time. That's right. All right, Matt, uh, thank you very much. Likewise. All right, and I will be 
back with Thomas Billy from Belly of the Beast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Ranch Rider Spirits. Forget hard seltzers. There is a new canned cocktail available in the Houston market. Trust me when I say you are going to want to try these. Ranch Rider Spirits is an Austin-based, real canned cocktail made with premium spirits, sparkling water, fresh squeezed citrus, and not a drop of added sugar. Plus, they're gluten-free and have 6% alcohol by volume. The three flavors include Ranch Water, Tequila Paloma, and the Chilton. Whether you're out on an adventure, relaxing by the pool, or just looking for something better for you than a seltzer, Ranch Rider Spirits is the can to grab. Available at local liquor stores, including All Specs, Twin Liquor Locations, and select Total Wine, Liquor Depot, Goody Goody Liquor, Pinkies, and Cactus Liquor Locations. For a full retail list, visit RanchRiderSpirits.com. I'm joined this week by Chef Thomas Billy, the owner of Belly of the Beast in Old Town Spring. Thomas, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for inviting, uh, man. Pleasure. Yeah, look, let me just let me just kind of start at the beginning because you you have kind of a different uh, career path than most chefs, I think, who open a restaurant in Houston. So, how did you sort of become interested in becoming a chef? Well, um, my love of food goes way back, you know, as a child. Uh, you know, being a 80s kid, I was a latchkey kid. So, um, <laughs> uh, if I didn't know how to cook, I didn't eat for myself. So, um, my dad uh, was a chef um, growing up, and he used to run a uh, French bistro um, back in the 80s. He was the exec chef. He started as a dishwasher when he was 16 and ended up taking over as the, the executive chef. And, you know, back then, you know, parents, would take their kids to work kind of deal, right? If they didn't have a babysitter, it's kind of how it was back then, I guess. And, uh, you know, he'd have me sitting like pretty much at the pass and, you know, I'd watch him cook and like call out the orders and stuff. And I thought it was exciting. I was like six or seven years old. And I was like, man, look at all this hustle and bustle. And then, you know, uh, they would come and like give me a piece of the trim from like the filet or like some lobster thermidor and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, what is this? You know, um, just kind of like grew from there. It was just like always wanting to explore different, um, different cuisines, different cultures and stuff. I grew up in LA, mid city LA. It's a very diverse melting pot. You know, my, my neighbors were Mexican, Vietnamese, Korean, um, South American, Salvadoran, you know, it was just a major melting pot. And, uh, you know, I would always like, you know, ask what their food tastes like. (laughs) 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 You know, like at school, you know, like I had a lot of Korean classmates and stuff, and, you know, they'd be eating their omelet rice, the omelet rice. And I used to be like, hey, what what is that? And they're like, oh, omelet rice. And I was like, can I have some? And they're like, yeah, you sure you're going to like it? I'm like, I like everything. As a kid, they used to call me Mikey, my brother's. You remember that commercial? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, so I, I was Mikey, you know, I, I did everything. And um, and uh, it just kind of grew from there. And, and as I got older, um, I definitely started pretty late professionally. Um, 
you know, I worked odd jobs. I was a warehouse assistant manager for a while and stuff like that. So the point till I finally said, you know what, um, I'm just going to, you know, decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, just started cooking, you know. Yeah. So did you go to culinary school or did you just kind of? I did. I, I, I went to, um, it's called the Kitchen Academy. It was uh, through a Le Cordon Bleu um, program. And it was an accelerated um, class. So it was about a year long, the the course. And I, I did really well. I mean, I, I was paying for it and I'm still paying for it, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, I, I immersed myself in it. I, I asked all the questions. I stood behind. I got there early. You know, I, I did everything. I, I just said, you know, I want to suck up all the knowledge because, you know, I got so much, uh, what's the word, uh, road to cover in such little time to try to be like successful, you know, cause this is a young man's game. I, I, I truly believe, you know, um, as far as like being a line cook is concerned and stuff. Um, yeah, so, not a lot of, not a lot of like 45 year old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Trust me. I, I, I'm, I'm tiger bombed every other day, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's all worth it. And um, you know, from there, I, I, I I went to quite a few restaurants. Um, you know, I, I worked at a, a lot of local little restaurants and stuff. And then. Right. But eventually you at, made your way to Odium, right? The Yeah. So for, uh, I was at the hotel for about five years. And uh, from there, you know, I, I gained like a lot of experience at, at least managing people and stuff like that. And, you know, kind of seeing the overall picture uh, of the operations and learning a lot about numbers because, I was always at the at the sales meetings and stuff like that. And I would like read the P&Ls and stuff. And, you know, it's just like, wow, OK, do I want to continue on a hotel path? Um, and, you know, I, I read about uh, Timothy, uh, Chef Tim, uh, leaving the French Laundry, he moving to L.A. And, and originally he wanted to open a, a taco stand, a taqueria. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, like like I definitely want to work for this guy because I had never worked in a in a Mexican restaurant you know I, I i do mexican food just because of that's my upbringing right so like kind of never wanted to work in those kind of kitchens you know i was too busy trying to like learn french and italian and japanese and stuff like that and um you know uh you know i applied to be the sous chef at uh, at odium and uh, i was hired I, I did a tasting and and you know from there i, I um I learned a lot, you know, I, I didn't really have any mentors in, in my, um, in my career coming up. So being there was like very scary when I first started, you know, like I, I was, I, I read about all the sous chefs that were, that were opening up the place. Right. And I was like, okay, three out of the five are, are from the French laundry. You know, I had like worked at a one-star Michelin, uh, restaurant called Ordelon back in like, Oh, eight. Um, for like really quick and then i got like a like a um, airline catering job and as a sous chef you know I, I had a child at a very young age i was 20 when i when i had my first kid so you know uh, i had to make money obviously to you know take care of my kid and stuff but once i got to odium um i really broke out right like i was able to feed off their knowledge and, and i'm a sponge and i was so like just hungry and hungry to like learn and be, become the like 
just become a better chef. You know, I, I've always had these crazy ideas, but like after working with for Chef Tim and John and all, all the other people that, that I worked with there, um, just kind of saw how they saw food and kind of just added it to my repertoire. And, you know, they, they think about everything, you know, the texture, the flavors, the, the you know, the, the temperatures. And, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to like work side by side with Chef Tim, you know, at a few events and, um, you know, private dinners that we did together and stuff like that. So I, I got to, to see what it's like, you know? Um, so it just kind of just added all to the repertoire. So you worked at um, arguably a, a top five restaurant in LA and, and anyone who saw, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only person who watched um, that stupid, uh, the final table, the, the competition right, right, right. show on, on Netflix, but, but he won that. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So I, I was still there when he, he, he was recording that. And um, yeah, it, it was awesome. You know, I, I knew what we were going to get, what kind of business we were, uh, what Odium was going to get from that show. Uh, I mean, it was a busy restaurant. I mean, we, we, I really enjoyed my experience there. You know, I was the, I ended up being the exec sue for the past two years that I was there. And, um, and, you know, I learned a lot about like, ingredients that I never thought I would like, you know, what type of truffles, how to clean them, how to store them properly, like foie gras, like everything, caviar, you know, doing caviar bumps and, <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, I, I learned a lot, man. I, 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 I am very fortunate to have worked uh, at that, at that restaurant. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, so how does an LA boy wind up in old town spring? <laughs> um, just quality of life, you know, uh, when I when I was leaving uh, Odium, uh, I, I was kind of just thinking of taking my, my career uh, like a step back and like just kind of like live my life and, you know, have some balance and raise my children. And um, my sister-in-law moved out here about eight or nine years ago. And my wife actually lived here um, 15 years ago. She did her undergrad at UH. And she actually lived in spring. And when, I, when we had our son, we went to visit my, my sister-in-law and her husband, my brother-in-law. And, you know, we wanted to ask them to be the godparents of my, my son. And, you know, I get there and I'm like, man, like I see their home. And I was like, whoa, like, look at this big ass house, you know? <laughs> and I was like, how much you guys pay for this? And they're like, oh, you know, like 250. I was like, what? You know, it, it, I was appalled because we had just recently sold our home. Um, we, I had a house in the Valley in LA and um, we put it on the market just to test it. And it sold on the first showing on the first weekend, the first person, it, it sold so quick. And, and the lady that purchased the, the home, she wanted a 30 day close. So we, we ended up, selling our home obviously in 30 days we had to be out we moved out i found a, a, an apartment and you know we thought about you know finding a, a home in that area like which like san gabriel valley area alhambra but you know i told my wife i was like i can't justify paying seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for a house you know i'll never stop working i'll never have my own business and so you know coming to spring to visit my 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 sister-in-law i saw the possibilities elsewhere you know i thought i'd never leave los angeles to be honest with you 
born and raised there. You know, I'm, I'm LA to the fullest. And, you know, I was like, man, this is so much house for so little, like uh, compared to Los Angeles. Right. And, right. um, right. I mean, you know, just to, right. You could have a, you know, a three bedroom house in a suburb for a third, maybe of what you would pay for it. In oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, um, it sparked the, you know, it was like my wife's way of doing inception on me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I was like, I went home and I was like, man, I think I'm going to move to Texas, you know, and I didn't tell her about it, you know, like at at first, because I've never moved. I've never lived anywhere else but LA. Right. So I was like, you know, she's lived everywhere. She's lived in DC. She's, she's traveled the world. So for her, she has like really no like ties or connection to like one place. And unlike me, I'm like, you know, like even when we sold our, our home, our first home, I, I was like, man, this is my house. You know, I didn't really want to let it go, but, you know, um, better opportunities, obviously. And, and once I saw what we could do, we, we ended up buying a house out here in spring. And, you know, I started working at, uh, at Sochi to when I first got here for Hugo Ortega and, um, yeah, yeah, I, I was there for a brief stint and I quickly realized I just didn't want to work for anybody anymore, you know. Well, all right. So, but I, I do just want to talk about that because um, you said you, I mean, obviously you grew up with um, a Mexican heritage, but you had never made Mexican food before. No, it's not that I never made Mexican food. Like I've always made like pozole and, and ceviches and stuff like that. Uh, just do typical stuff. Though. Professionally, no, nah, not in the kitchen. So actually before I left Los Angeles, before I actually left Odium, uh, Tracy and, and Hugo uh, had came by during a brunch and I recognized him. And um, I was like, hey, what's up, chef? How are you? You know, like, you know, and we started chatting and I told him, I said, hey, you know, uh, uh I'm moving to Texas. I'm moving to Houston. I told him like that. And he's like, Oh really? You know, and he was like, you know, very, very nice guy. And he was like, he's like, you know, I can have a job for you. And I'd be, Oh, that'd be cool. Cause you know, obviously you can't buy a house if you don't have a job, you know? Right. So, so like no matter how much down payment you put, you still have to have a job. And, you know, so I was like, okay, you know, so I, I, I did all those steps. I did the interviews and did whatever I had to do. And I was offered a position over there. And, you know, um, it was good to see, you know, like I, I you know, he has a, an incredible staff. They, they do large volume numbers, which I'm used to. Right. It was just um, being in a kitchen in a new like after leaving Odium, I, I knew I didn't want to work for anybody anymore. You know, like I like it was already set in me, like like you need to do your own thing, you, you know, and. You know, right, so, it, it was a it was a great landing spot to to begin with. So, other than working for Hugo for a little bit, you had never cooked Mexican food professionally. That is correct. So, what made you decide that for your your restaurant you wanted to to kind of go back to that? Because, well, I'll, I'll let me just put it to you. How do you describe Belly of the Beast to people? Well, to be honest with you, this was never supposed to be a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it was always going to have a Latin influence, obviously, right? Because that's just the way I cook. I always insert, you know, some types of chilies or some kind of flavor profile that comes from, from Mexico or other Latin countries. Um, 
but my first menu when I when I when when I opened this was a love letter to Mexican American cuisine for me. You know that 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 was the whole purpose uh, of that first menu. It was like you know my love letter, and then I eventually wanted to change over as during the season and start doing a little more eclectic dishes, a lot a little more hodgepodge kind of menu, I guess. Uh, you know, but still cohesive. And uh, the pandemic hit. You know, five five weeks into it. So it's kind of, it kind of, um, kind of changed my business model, obviously, uh, you know, I had to pivot and understand that, okay, during these times, it is not great to re reinvent yourself or recreate yourself. And, and you know, I, I said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to stick with what we're doing here and, you know, make it a little, uh, I guess, uh, more modern taqueria kind of version style, you know what I mean? Like offer sides, but still offer some like, really solid tacos that are very unique and um, you know, a few entrees and stuff like that. That, that was, that, that's how I ended up becoming a Mexican restaurant. Um, <laughs> but, but the, the intention was, it was always to like have an ever changing menu, you know um, you know, just kind of like change it with the seasons and I, I get bored really quick you know, of cooking the same thing over and over. So that's why I like to change the menu so often. Um, I just like to try new things. And then as far as like my cooks, I want them to learn new things. I want them to see new things, you know, try new things. And, you know, it, it gets boring when you do the same menu over and over and over and over, you know? Right. But, but uh, from a consumer perspective, I would say customers like to be able to come back and have, the same thing. I mean, absolutely. That, you know, and that's, uh, that's a big reason why we, we are what we are right now. You know, it, it's um, people like, what's the word consistency. People like comfort and people like to go and like, try two things that are always going to be on the menu. And we'll always have like a staple on the menu, you know, and, and it'll always probably be there maybe not i don't know but um so right now during being in the midst of a pandemic you know you kind of just don't want to like change the whole game right so i I believe like this restaurant was never like i intended to open a food truck that that's what i really originally wanted um but i noticed that the food truck scene out here wasn't as lucrative as other cities, right? Yeah, like we are not a food truck friendly environment. Yeah, I, I could tell. <laughs> so, you know, cause I, I went to a lot of places and I, I looked at a lot of spaces and, you know, I came across this space. Uh, I originally wanted the space across the street, um, but the tenants weren't, weren't leaving soon. And um, the, the landlord showed me the space and I, I fell in love with it. I, I saw a lot of potential. Because it wouldn't occur to me that sort of an ambitious, chef-driven kind of modern Mexican restaurant would open in Old Town Spring. That would not have been my my first guess. Right, and that's kind of what I like about it. <laughs> you know, okay. like I, I mean, totally fair enough. Yeah, I, I do. I, I I think that we're like, you know, uh, you know, doing what we do out here. I, I feel like it's just so odd to have it in such a, such a unique place like old town spring that I feel like it's worth mentioning and worth driving to that. I mean, I personally feel that. Um, and, 
and I think that's cool. You know, like, hey, man, you ever driven out there? You know, and, and everything here is far. Everything in Texas is far, man. Everything, like, you know, there, there is no short distances here. And um, but it, I think being in Old Town Spring is what makes us even more unique, you know, like doing our own Nixtamal and doing what we do here and, you know, just kind of like being well, yeah, true yeah, to our talk, craft. Talk about that a little bit because you have this 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 fine dining background. So like, what are you, what are you sort of doing? Uh, and, and I'll say, I, I've been a couple of times and, and, you know, the reason I'm having you on is because I enjoyed both, both visits, but I mean, like the thing that kind of blew me away is you're like, Oh yeah, I've got this mushroom taco and it, and it's got this orange sauce and you're like, Oh yeah, I made carrot escabeche. Right? <laughs> so you, you like, you pickled the carrots and then you turn that into a puree, and that seems like a lot of work, basically, for a sauce going on one taco. It, it is. Uh, I, I look at the taco as its own complete dish, right? Like you know, it could be on the plate by itself, but you know, my canvas is the tortilla, and it all starts with the tortilla, right? Like you, you know, everybody says this. Every Mexican chef, like you know, but the root of Mexico is maize, right? It's corn. And it always will be. And, you know, I, I take it, it everything I want to do, I want to do from scratch. I want to try to do it to the best of my ability and I want to learn from it. Um, and I don't like to take shortcuts. So, yeah, I could easily go buy tortillas. Right. Um, and most people don't really care what their tacos on, you know, what kind of tortilla the tacos on. They, and that's, you know, otherwise there wouldn't be so many taquerias around, right? Because most of them don't make their own tortillas. But, you know, we do our own ixtamal, we grind, uh, you know, the mushrooms. Like, yes, everything that we do here, is, it's a lengthy process, you know. Like, for example, like the the chimichurri that's on top of it, that's like a two-hour prep, man, just to make that chimichurri, to make like two and a half quarts of it. It, that's on the mushroom and then the carrot yeah we pickle them and then and then i make a puree out of it and i just i i have such a from the training i've had i just kind of want to implement it in every aspect of of what we do in every dish you could just even if it's just a taco right some people are just like oh, it's just a taco well to me it's a lot more than that to me it's a dish on a tortilla you know what i mean and and um uh I take it, you know, serious, you know, I, I have a lot of passion for what I do. I, I love cooking is all I am really good at, <laughs> to be honest with you. And, you know what I mean? I, I, I try to make music when I was younger and, you know, I, there was no future in that. I wasn't really good. And, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I said, you know, what? let's, uh, you know, let's do everything from scratch. You know, like I tell the guys, like when we, we, before the pandemic, we were already going to start doing our burger. And um, so, you know, we make, made our own buns. We, we were grinding our own beef. I was uh, making our own bacon. Um, and, you know, and they were like, well, why don't you just buy that? You know, and I told them, I was like, look, man, I want to take pride in what we do. Like, it, it, if there's a better bread that, that is offering what, what I'm personally looking for, which was a semita, right? And the whole reason I would put it on a semita bun is because, a semita is a, a type of torta, right? It comes from uh, from Puebla and uh, basically means seeds, right? So it has like the, the sesame seeds on top and, and there's a way to make it. And 
I thought of it as the perfect Mexican-American thing. Like burgers are all American and the samita is a Mexican type of bread. So like, why not bring the two together? And it's basically like me and a, me and a burger, you know, like I'm Mexican-American. I'm American first because uh, I was born and raised here, but my heritage is Mexican completely, you know? Yeah. And then the only other thing I've, and, and I'll, you're doing some, some other stuff. I mean, you're, I mean, you're exploring a lot of classic stuff. You're doing a cochinita pibil. You're doing uh, uh, tacos birria. I mean, you know, those are those are super trendy right now. Do you? Um, how do you sort of put your spin on on something like that, where where it's like all of a sudden it's like every it seems like every Mexican restaurant in town is is suddenly doing birria. So the the birria taco, I originally made them uh, here because I, I, I made them at home at first when I first moved here because I, I, I missed LA and nobody was offering them out here. So it was like, you know, I was like, you know, I've made birria many times in my life, and but I had just never made that taco. I would always just go and buy them in LA because there's so many stands. And, um, you know, once I made them, I was like, man, this is coming on the menu. So, so I did it at our first pop-up uh, that I did here when I first got the space. Um, it was like September, 2019, I made them and people loved them. And I was like, all right, you know, we'll keep it on. Like, it's cool, you know? And, uh, how do I differentiate that is by, you know, just offering quality product, you know, you know, buying 44 farms, top sirloin and, and, you know, um, having a fresh tortilla with the using Chihuahua cheese instead of mozzarella, um, just kind of like enhancing the ingredients and, 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 you know, uh, the cochinita pibil is something that I've always loved to eat. I, I, I love it. I, I really enjoy that. It's basically Mexican pulled pork, you know? <laughs> so it's like, um, I love it. And, you know, our spin on it is nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, but we do like a black bean puree on the bottom. We, we add the pork and then uh, instead of the regular habanero salsa, that's usually like loose and wet and like super orange. Uh, we do like a charred version, right? So we like char it to foobar and then, you know, make an emulsion out of it. And, uh, you know, and then you got your pickled onions and, and that's it. You know, like it's, it's a it is the flavor profile the same. Yeah. But it's just presented a little bit different. Um, you know, and you, you got to do the classics, you got to explore the classics and, you know, um, I enjoy them. They're very, you know, crowd pleasers and I enjoy eating them you know, especially when we have leftovers. <laughs> right. All right. So, so like you said, you didn't necessarily intend to kind of open a, uh, well, I'll call it, you, you can disagree with me, but I'm going to call it a fancy taqueria. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is a higher end taqueria. Like it really is. I mean, I, I coming into the space, I, I didn't know what to expect. Right. This is the first time I've ever owned a restaurant. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's all new to me. I'm, I'm learning every single day. So, it, it, you know, building it out and, and then thinking like, oh, how are we going to do this? And, you know, like, how, how are we, how are we going to operate? And I originally thought like, okay, maybe I could do like a smaller menu and offer like dishes, right? There's a, there's a restaurant in LA, it's called Animal, right? And I used to eat there a lot uh, when they first opened and you know, their menu is very eclectic and, and they offer like different, different takes on, on, on food. And I kind of wanted that as our, as our niche, right? Like it's some, something similar to that. Um, 
but then once I, I noticed that there was going to be a, a brewery next door, <laughs> you know, and and then with the whole pandemic and the to go game, certain foods don't translate on the to go. Right. So, you know, but tacos do, <laughs> you know, most of the time, at least. Right. Um, absolutely. All right. So yeah. so what are maybe some of the things you'd like to do uh, over the next, you know, six months? Right. You've been you've been open for about six months and and. Now you're headed towards, you know, a year. Like, what, what would you, what are maybe a couple of things you'd like to accomplish um, before you hit that one year mark? Well, I'd like to accomplish, uh, you know, I want to get a beer and wine license, um, you know, because I, I do want to sell wine. And with selling wine, that would at least uh, help me um, do a little more entree uh, type dishes, you know, so we could sell wine and, and um, I'd like to be able to have some guest chef series kind of thing, uh, especially on our slower days that we have. Um, but I also would need the wine for that. And, and I would love to do that and help out like local, you know, um, local chefs that are coming up and don't really have an outlet. Um, I, I, you know, I want to support the community, especially the culinary community and, you know, that's another goal. And uh, eventually by, by next year, God willing, we'll be able to do like some whole animal cookery and offer kind of like a price per head kind of deal. Um, you know, get like a cajachina and like roast a whole lamb or whatever and then serve it with like fresh made pita and like just all the fixings, that ziki hummus, all that stuff. Um, you know, just kind of have like a different thing laid out and just kind of be able to activate the space. But you know, t- times are uncertain. Like, do, are, are we ever going to get back to that? Like where there's actual crowds and stuff like that? I don't know. So, so a lot of the ideas I have, they're, they're, they're in my mind and I want to achieve them, but most, most, more than anything, I want to be able to, uh, within the year mark, I, I want to be able to educate people that Mexican food is not cheap food. You know, a lot of people have, it has that stigma, right? Because sometimes we undersell ourselves. Right. And like, even, myself like I, I don't charge much because i don't have a big labor um i don't have a lot of labor to justify those prices right so i, I try to keep them as low as possible uh within the boundaries of like buying the high quality product right like i still got to make a profit right to be able to pay the bills um but ultimately speaking like i, I want to educate people that like you know we're using high quality product and just because it's mexican food it, it doesn't mean that it has to be cheap you know and, and i want people to like understand that understand that dearly you know um and you know as far even like chinese food and stuff like that there, there's a lot of food that people think that are cheap that are actually not cheap and it takes so much time to make this food like you know the birria i cook it for four to six hours the pork belly is a three-day process you know what i mean the octopus like it takes me like four hours to do it. you know like everything here is made like so low and slow that it, it as I'm making it, I'm like, man, you know, it's a lot of labor, but it's a labor of love, man. I, I just kind of want to keep pushing towards that. And, you know, um, you know, th- yeah. those are the goals and continue to grow and be able to staff more um, and kind of just kind of find our own, um, our own groove, you know? Yeah. And, and I'll say the one thing is it does seem like it's going pretty well. I mean, I, I don't read all of the, the Facebook foodie groups, but I, I am a member of Woodlands area foodies and you seem to be 
seems like it's a hit over there. I mean, I've seen a lot of positive comments. Yeah, I, I'm, man, I'm super blessed. I, I'm, we are blessed over here. I'm very fortunate to like still have these doors open. Um, you know, and, and to get the, to get the following that we're getting, I, I, I'm, I'm super grateful, you know, like when the pandemic hit the first three weeks, I made like $600 in sales in those three weeks. Cause we, we that's, opened as that's we not opened. a lot of money. No, no, not at all. And it, we were originally a lunch restaurant, you know, so we, we, we had our 12 to four, 12 to six uh, hours or whatever. Right. But, you know, obviously the pandemic hit there's nobody working, you know, so now there's no lunch crowd. So, you know, I, I would come in by myself every day, you know, take the order up front and, and ask the guests to, to wait and then I'd go cook it for them and I'd bring it out to them. And, uh, you know, by the third week uh, I, I got hit like hard, you know, like I had like at least 15 people waiting. I was like, your food will be out. So the, the next day I, I, I asked my wife, I said, Hey, uh, can you can you help me man the front while I while I cook? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean she's got a full time job. She's she's a director of a, a you know a nonprofit organization and she's busy, especially during the census and an election year. She's like this is her busiest. This is her peak time, you know, for her. And um, you know, I'm, I'm just fortunate to have the the, the support from my family. Uh, you know, my, my wife, my mom is the one in the front taking the orders she helps with the tortillas you know she she makes the tortillas and you know she she schools me on it because growing up her her mom had a tortilla you know so she understands the feel in that and and it's awesome and my dad comes and helps me butchers on the off days that that we don't have service you know it's a family affair and you know and now like on those busy days i'm able to staff you know i i have you know I have my, my two guys and, you know, they're great. I, I love my team, man. It, it, you know, they've become family. Um, you know, I, I couldn't ask for more, you know, to have, to be able to sell out in the midst of a pandemic is, is a blessing, you know, and, right. and it's not like I'm selling out because I don't have enough food. It's just like, you know, you, you've seen the space. I don't, I don't have much space. It's a, this is a small restaurant. I mean, you've got, I mean, even within the limits of your capacity, I mean, you've probably got what about twenty-five or thirty seats inside. And then- Correct. I got like twenty-two seats inside and like six picnic tables outside, and you know, and the kitchen's tiny. Um, you know, I have a three-door fridge. I, I do everything every day. You know, I braise the birria every day. You know, um, just kind of make what we can during the day. So I've been getting better at. I'm trying to produce more, but as I produce more, thank God it's able to move more. And, you know, uh, man, like I said, down the street, there's corkscrew and they sell out. And to be able to, to do things like that in that capacity, sometimes obviously not at their capacity because they, they, they're, they're a machine, you know, but like, I eventually want to be able to get there. Right. And, and, you know, hopefully be able to open uh, another, another version of this and, and, a little more um, in a commercial environment, I guess <laughs> to say. Um, but I really love the home feel that that I'm offering here. Um, so just kind of like mimic that in, in a you know more densely populated area. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Come come south. I mean, I I will drive for food. I was happy to drive for food. I was uh, 
I, I really enjoyed my dinner there a few weeks ago, but uh, uh, yeah, come, come South. You, know, <laughs> take, you can take Hugo on. Well, you know, I, I, I won't put that on you. I, I won't say take him on head to head, but you know, add your, add your spin to the mix. You know? I, I'm in, I'm in no competition with anybody, man. I'm in competition with myself every day. Um, you know, and I truly mean that I, I try to make things better and better every day. Like, you know, the first time you came, I, I believe what we were offering was good, but as time goes, you, you get better and you, you start, you know, you start developing things and you start, you know, um, saying, Oh, let's try it this way or dressing, dressing the, the product a little different and stuff like that. So now, right now we're, we're at a pretty good groove and, and, you know, we're seasoning hard and, and making sure that, you know, that first bite you're eating, you're just like, Whoa, like, what is all this, you know? And, um, you know, that, that, that's what we're doing. And eventually, you know, hopefully we're, we're able to expand one day and that, that would be awesome to expand and, and move closer to the city and, and maybe even continue to have this one. Um, you know, I don't know, whatever's in the cards, I, I'm willing, I'm rolling with the punches every day. So you know, it's, it's just, I come in and prep by myself most of the days. And then the day before service, I get my guys to come and help me with like the final touches and stuff like that. But you know, we, my dad helps me with the butchery. I marinate everything. I smoke it, braise it, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I touch and I'm on the line during service. Like it, I'm truly working on the line. It, it's, uh, you know, it's hard. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm right. not a young, right. I'm not a young right. buck anymore, well, man. All right. Well, Thomas, we're, we're running a little bit long, but um, I do want to thank you for doing this. And, and before I let you go, we got to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. All right, let's do it. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right, Thomas Milley, what is your favorite cookbook? Uh, it's called A Wong. It's a Chinese restaurant in London that I was blown away by. All right. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, it was Cypress Hill at the their smokeout. <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is a very L.A. answer. All right, what is your... Fast food guilty pleasure. It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Fast food guilty pleasure. Um, man, I mean, there's none out here, but uh, in LA, there's a place called Tommy's and they sell chili burgers. And that is like my absolute favorite. All right. And then uh, I usually ask people for their favorite Houston sports figure, but since you're uh, since you're new to town, who is your favorite LA sports figure, past or present? Past or present, oh, man, there's too many to name. Uh, it would, it would probably be Magic Johnson growing up, and then Kobe Bryant as I got older. All right, and then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? Pepperoni and cheese, man. I want to taste how good the pizza is. All right, give us the the website and the social media and all that for Belly of the Beast. So the website is bellyofthebeastfood.com. Uh, our IG is at Belly of the Beast Food. Uh, we're open Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, come check us out. Uh, we're BYOB, so you'll have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Eric. Pleasure. All right. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.